Hallelujah. 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 Father God, we thank you for a spirit of breakthrough here tonight, Lord God, that we'll break out of our past and we'll break into our promises. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father God, for your goodness. Father God, you said that where the Holy Spirit is made, Lord, there is liberty. So we thank you for liberty and signs and wonders and miracles. Thank you for liberty, Lord God, and the ability to see and hear and perceive what the Spirit is saying tonight in Jesus' name. Say, can you say this after me? Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to perceive what the Spirit is saying tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you also just thank the uh, worship team tonight? Hallelujah. Thank you, peoples. Well, has this been rich or what? Wow. Yeah. I, I do this from time to time. Can you do this like a good Italiano? Say, what's the matter for your face? Can you do this with me? Can you do this? Can you do this? Come on, Barry. You can do this. You got this, man. Okay, you ready? Put it up to your head. A-kaboom. This has been a-kaboom. And so blessed. To, and and uh, every, every time that we get to hang out with uh, Tony and Marilyn, it's just rich. And, and, and the, the 50, 60 years of, of, of being in the kingdom, it's maybe longer than that, but operating in the kingdom, um, not that you're that old, but I don't, okay, I'll just, I'll just continue on. Um, but just the, the depth, the depth uh, of which the, the piercing of the words come because of the experience uh, behind the veil. We're just so, so uh, honored and, and blessed. And, um, yeah, and Dean, just, it's been great to get to know you as a brother over the last maybe year. I don't, yeah, maybe a year and a bit. Um, Dean and I sit on a steering committee for Battle for Canada and do some things uh, in the nation. But uh, last night was, uh, was I, I, I tweeted about it, that you, that you knocked it out of the park, and, and you did. And, and say, yeah, amen, amen. The, the, uh, the tabernacle made of skin was phenomenal. Like the tabernacle that God gave to Moses as a template, and, and, and that it's not made out of a cotton, it's not made out of a fabric, it was made out of skin, the, the tent, the walls, and it represented the, the, the people that would wear an earth suit. And the skin that, 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 that houses the, the holy of holies, which is our, our all, and going beyond the rented veil and, and all, the, all the upgrades. In the Old Testament, we were, we were the, the vice regents of all of creation. Who is man that you are mindful of him and made him just below the angels, according to the King James, but... The transliteration is actually made just below Elohim, the pluralization of God that, we, that talks of in Genesis of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were in the Old Testament, say the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, we were made just below Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Vice regents, uh, the, the authority in this realm to operate. Somebody say upgrade. 
We went from being second in command of all of creation, according to that scripture. And then we went into this new covenant, the upgrade, where we became the many brethren of the firstborn of the last Adam. Somebody say upgrade. We went from being second in command to being co-heir with the creator of the universe. Say, I have become one with the creator of the universe. Selah. I know this is, this is a mystery that is being revealed to us in these days. This is a revelation. Can you hear me tonight? There's a revelation that is coming to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ of our, of our stature in the midst of whose we belong. And, and I want to tell you, I wrote about it and I preach about it, but one of the greatest things I've learned from, from our brother that I'm going to call up here in just a couple of minutes is whose you are, who you are, and to whom you're called. And understanding my, our identity comes from, not from who we are or what we do, but whose we are. It must begin with whose we solidify and are in this new creation of this oneship and co-heirship and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Say perspective, change. My perspective is my reality. What I behold is what I will eventually become. It really matters on what I see. I, I got to see things. If I can see things properly, if I, if I can see things the way they need to be seen, if I can see it, I can have it. If I can see it, I can have it. I just got to see him. Blind, uh, uh, Zacchaeus was the... Uh, a man that was short of stature. He, he was a little man. He, was, he had some shortcomings in his life. He positioned himself. He positioned himself where he knew the Savior was coming, but he had to reposition himself because he could not see him. So he climbed up the seek him more tree. This, you can preach dad jokes. You, you, you got cl to climb up the sycamore tree or the seek him more tree. You got you to climb up the seek him more tree and go out on a limb. You got to branch out. Because you, you need a different perspective. Come on, say, I need a different perspective. I got to see different. If I can see him, I can have him. So, so um, seriously, Zacchaeus climbs up the tree because he could not see him because he had some shortcomings. If you can climb up the seek him more tree and come up here, you'll get a better perspective. And so Zacchaeus did that. He climbed up the tree, went out on that branch, and then he could see Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, if you can see Jesus, Jesus can see you. And he says, today I'm coming to your house. He will come to your house if you can see him because he can see you. I, I just want to leave you with this scripture, and I, I'm going I'm to turn there. I'm not going to quote it. Uh, I, I want you to see it for yourself. This is a beautiful, beautiful scripture and found in Revelations chapter 4, verse 8. 
Say, my gaze will determine my days. Say, my gaze will determine my days. What you pay attention to, you are paying for. And in the economy of seed time and harvest, you get what you pay for. So we have to be careful of what, where we're paying attention to. The Bible says on whatsoever is good and pure and holy, anything excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things that we dwell upon. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. My perception will be my reality. But I'm driving down the road, and, and, and a lot of people know Pam that is a street person in our city. That I know that even many of you in this room have reached out to her. And I, and, and I get woken up, I don't know, middle of the night, maybe around 3 in the morning, and the Lord says, I want you to find her every day for the next 30 days and give her $5 every day. I couldn't find her. I, went, I drove down there periodically looking for him, to, for her. She usually is outside of uh, the Bank of Montreal, and I, would, I, I wanted to find her and, and put that $5 in there like the Lord told me. I wanted to be obedient to her, and, and, and just well, I wanted to be obedient. I didn't find her, and it was like Christmas Eve. This is a couple years ago. And I finally, I was, I, I don't know how, why I was downtown, but I, uh, uh, a spiritual son was with me, Chris, and and. We, I see her, I said, oh, there she is. And I had $150 in my pocket that was waiting to be sewn into her life because the Lord says give her $5 a day for the next several days. So I find her and I go up to her. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I said, the Lord, I, I just, I, I have this money for you that the Lord is $150. And she's like, her eyes, boing. That's a good day. Say, that's a good day. So I, I take the money, and I, just before I put it, I said, I want to let you know the Lord loves you so much that he, he woke me up in the middle of the night to tell me to find you and give you $5 every day. And I haven't been able to find you, but here's $150, bam. I said, do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? She jumped right up, and she said, I believe, I believe, and danced right off to her drug dealer, I think. I don't mean that to be funny. That was the reality. So I'm driving Tori to school. And on the way back from my, from my trip to take Tori to school, I trip, it's not really much of a trip. But adventure. Driving Tori to school is adventure every day. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. And so I dropped her off at school, and then I, I, I went down Bridge Street, and I, and I see her standing there. And I'm like, Dad, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I, I obeyed you. Uh, I was thinking for something a little more spectacular, perhaps. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to minister to her. I don't know how to bring people like her into the kingdom. <laughs> he says, you need to change your perspective. See her forgiven. It's a key to me. Because when I go to minister to some of my relatives and in, 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 um, in my relationship with my father, 
Um, not, not always easy. And I would have to come, I'd come home and Tammy would pray for me because I'd be carrying stuff. And, but I was talking to a spiritual father, Tony Slay, and he's been here. And, and he says, Barry, you've been given a key. Whenever you meet with anybody, see them forgiven. And then the Lord began to share with me. He said, he says, Barry, because soon your perspective will become their reality. Your perspective doesn't only change your reality. Your perspective will soon change the reality of your world because you begin to see different. And when you begin to see different, you begin to speak different. And when you begin to speak different, this world will react to God's world because everything was made up out of and is held together by the power of his spoken word. I didn't share any of that, and hopefully I didn't bring disrespect to anybody. I didn't mean that. But for the sake of the gravity of this moment, I thought I'd share that. What you see matters. How you see things matter. There is always something that you can be grateful for. You just got to look a little deeper. There's, some, there's always something that you can find to be thankful for. Every day when Tammy and I wake up together and we, we, ha, we pray together, we oftentimes we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Look for the thankful. What are you thankful for? I mean, I'm in the shower. Sorry about the visual. Awkward pause, awkward pause. Proceed. And I'm thanking God for hot water. I mean, I don't have to go get it. I don't have to, I don't have to heat it. It pours right down on me. I don't have to saddle up the horse. I just, I get in my vehicle. I go, I'm thankful. Say thankful. I enter into my authority by finding something to be thankful about. Looking a little deeper. If we could just look a little deeper and find the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, you will soon be conquering and living and feasting in the midst of it all because you enter into all the authority of heaven and hell, everything. You enter into all authority by your thankfulness. If we can look a little deeper, I'm just... I don't even know. I should. I meant to look at my watch before I start. How long have I been going? Maybe two, maybe three minutes. Yeah. Couple. Hey, you know the owner of the building. We're okay. Okay, okay. Say, say, my gaze will determine my days. If you can see him, he can see you. And if he can see you, he will enter into your house. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And, and, I, and I touched on this last night just briefly. 
we are living in the midst of a proceeding word from the Father. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of, the, of our Father. Say, I'm living. Come on, can somebody smile a little bit? It's, it's a good life. Say, I'm living in a spoken word. I'm living in the midst of a spoken word. Revelations 4, 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. Somebody say freaky. The four living creatures, each having six wings. I, I believe it's like the, the cherubim. There's two to cover, two to hover, and two to change their trajectory. And they had eyes all around and eyes within. What are we paying attention to? When I thought I lost me. I'm good. It's a really good line, though, from that song. I mean, it's quite relevant to what I'm saying, actually. Actually, it is. I wasn't sarcasm. Yeah. Although sarcasm is my love language. Amen. So they 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 have six wings, and they have eyes all around and and eyes within. Say upgrade. In the Old Testament, you are the vice regent of all of creation, made just below Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The pluralization of God. In the New Testament, you get upgraded to becoming one with the Spirit of the Living God. I'm. Somebody help me out here. Somebody say kaboom. We went from a pretty good position in life to being upgraded. Jesus was the last Adam. Not, the, not necessarily the second Adam. He was the last Adam. He, there was no, we, we're not I'm not a descendant of Adam any longer. I'm a descendant of the, the firstborn of the many brethren. I'm a descendant of the king of kings and the Lord. I'm, I'm no longer underneath the Adamic nature. I'm, I'm, I'm underneath, and, and I'm, my lineage starts with Jesus Christ. My perspective needs to change. I'm not a dirty, rotten a scumbag sinner that's saved by grace. Jonathan, that's a beautiful hat, by the way. See, I'm, I'm not this sinner saved by grace. I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Perspective change. We, 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 we're not that, that person any longer. I'm a new creation. I'm brand new. All things are washed away, and I've been come born again, and I have become one with the spirit of the living God. And we need to get this revelation rise up in the midst of us because it's in us. He is within us. The kingdom is within us. The grace of God is all within us. And it's 
desperately trying to upload into our minds so we can lay hold of that which has been laid hold of us. Your gaze is determining your days. And your perspective will be your reality, but your perspective will soon be their reality. Say, if I could only just see him. If I could only just see him. These four living creatures have eyes all around and eyes within. Within them, they have, they, they, they're, they're anointed to see. If they're anointed to see, ministering spirits are, are, are sent to minister to, through, and for those that would obtain salvation. We are co-heirs with the creator of the living God and become one with the spirit of God. If these are anointed to see, how much more are we anointed to see? I want to challenge you that you can see the Gadarene demoniac. Jesus shows up in the region of the Gadarene demoniac and the Gadarene demoniac who is, you know the story and you've heard it preached probably a hundred times and, and how that he was, he was naked and in the tombs and they couldn't, they couldn't fetter him. They couldn't shackle him and he, he busted the chain and, and he cut himself and he cried both day and night and, and, and theologians are saying that there's probably about 2,000 demons on board but nothing could stop him from seeing the Savior. Not all 2,000 demons could stop him from seeing the Savior. Nothing can stop you from seeing the Savior. You're anointed to see. I'm anointed to see. No, that gathering demoniac saw the Savior and he ran to the Savior. And, and not all 2,000 demons could stop him from calling him Lord. And We have given the enemy too much authority. The most demonic person that we know of on the planet was the gathering demoniac. That was his name. And not all 2,000 demons altogether, not legion, not nobody could stop him from seeing and decreeing what he saw. So if we see and hear and speak, your sound will shatter shackles all day. Full of eyes all around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's, it's because of the, the revelation of what they saw. They're, they're flying around the throne. They have six wings. They're flying around. Can you hear me tonight? They're flying around the throne, and they are, they're looking for something. They're, they're looking for something. Can I say to you that we need to begin to look for a revelation. We need to begin to look for something that God wants to reveal to us. There's a, there's a, we're in a season of mysteries being revealed, and, and God wants to reveal something to us more than we want to, but we've got to use our anointing to see. Say, I'm anointed to see. My eyes are anointed to see. Every time they would see something, they cry out, oh my God. 
Bob, did you see that? Frank, I did see that. Bob, Frank, you saw that? Did you just see? The, 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 as, a, as the four of them, Bob, Frank, Elsie, and somebody else. Flying around the throne. And seeing a glimpse of his grace. Through the thunder and the lightning and the voices, they were looking, still looking. There was thunder and lightnings that are coming from the throne and voices coming through. But they're still looking. They're still flying. They're still able to see. And in your lives, through the thunders and the lightnings and all the different voices, you still have an anointing to see. And as we see, we begin to, oh my God, wow. It commanded praise. Not as a robot, but at the revelation of what they saw. When you see him, like Zacchaeus saw him, when you see the revelation that God wants to release on a daily basis, say daily. This is a daily thing. He's building his church on, on the revelation that we can receive revelation. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Jesus is building his church on the rock of revelation. And the, and the chief of all revelations is that Jesus is the Christ. But he's building it on an ongoing, proceeding, prophetic revelation that we can receive from the Father on a daily basis. This is what he's building his church upon. And they would begin to fly, continue to fly. And they would see. And what they saw caused them to decree. Oh my God, you're so holy. And they would throw themselves down. And their words, would, because of what they saw, their words began to shift heaven. Can I tell you tonight? Your words, because of what you see, and how you see the Father will shift your world, will shift this heaven. Father, tonight I thank you. I thank you for anointing our eyes. See, Father God, according to Revelation chapter 3, Lord God, where you anointed our eyes, you said you should have asked me to anoint your eyes with eyes of heaven. Tonight, Lord God, we're asking that you would anoint our eyes tonight. That the scales, Lord God, that are caused by circumstances and situations and problems and pains and past. And Lord God, all that, Father God, the, these scales would begin to fall off even as uh, Tony begins to share the word tonight, Lord God. We're, we're asking that we'd be able to see clearly, Lord God, because your reign has come. Father, I'm asking, Lord God, that we would see clearly because of the R-E-I-G-N of Christ has come. That we'd be able to see clearly because of the reign of the Spirit has come. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you agree with any of that, can you just give God a thank you? <clears throat> amen. 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 Well, um, do you want me? Yeah. Uh, I just want to introduce you to a man that wrecks your paradigm that changes your theology and fixes your doctrine. <laughs> uh, I, 
But I just want to say, uh, Tony, and I, I always am bettered whenever, whenever I'm around you. And I, I so appreciate the father heart of God uh, that exudes out of you. And I, I absorb through osmosis uh, from just what effervesces from your life because of your time with him. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for coming to our house. Thank you. We are, we are so grateful for what you bring to us. And we're honored that you're here. Could you just welcome Tony Fitzgerald tonight? Amen. I was sitting there wondering whether we should just go home now. That was incredible. Amen. Let's freak and ride into us and some things we're journeying through at the moment. And uh, thanks, Barry. Wonderful. You always come into times like this. Wonderful to have the opportunity to share, but it's just what you receive as you gather and just be together and get changed. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, it's only going to take me just a couple of hours to share, share my life message with you tonight. So I want to do it as, uh, no, I'm joking, just to share through a bit of it. For those who heard me share on what I'm going to share with you tonight, those who haven't, I trust it can impart something into your heart. Those who have, then in the words of Jesus, again I say unto you. <laughs> Amen. So it's a, it's a joy, but I just want to share a bit around my life's message tonight. A man is flying in a hot air balloon and realizes he is lost. This is not my message. He reduces height and spots a man down below. He lowers the balloon further and shouts, Excuse me, can you tell me where I am? The man below says, Yes, you're in a hot air balloon hovering 30 feet above the ground. You must work in information technology, said the balloonist. I do, replies the man. How did you know? Well, says the balloonist, everything you have told me is technically correct, but it's no use to anyone. <laughs> the man below says, you must work in management. <laughs> I do, replies the balloonist, but how do you know? Well, said the man, you don't know where you are or where you're going, but you expect me to be able to help. You're in the same position as you were before we met, but now it's my fault. <laughs> oh, sometimes it's the story of the church, isn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. We hover somewhere between information. But there's something... Uh, <laughs> put that away. <laughs> no, it is wonderful as you travel through. You know, as Ed Savolsa said, Savolsa said this, teaching hits your mind and trickles down to your soul. Impartation hits your soul and begins to affect your mind. We need both. And I trust in a weekend like this, we're getting both, you know. Not just more information, or that doesn't change anything in the end, but it's good to know. But impartation that can shift us and travel with. I look over all the years of my life and think, God, all this 
conferences, all the sermons in Church of the Nations, I think our family, I've, I've been and led maybe 100 of our leadership conferences over 40 years, 50 years or so, been to thousands of others, been to conferences and groupings of all kinds of things. And you sit back sometimes and say, God, what were the moments that actually shifted me? They were all good on the night. And I'm not saying anything's a waste of time because if we only get blessed for the night and not on, it's still great. But what really shifted me? What changed? A few times, what changed in kingdom understanding for me? You know, a couple of things I shared just this morning. That one day as a young denominational, just coming out of the denomination, what I was telling you about this morning, I walked into a meeting. A man was speaking in Melbourne, Australia. I walked with him later. He, uh, I won't say his name tonight. But uh, I walked into the meeting and I just heard him say this phrase. I don't know how I got there. It was for leaders, a couple of hundred leaders. I wasn't leading anything at the time, but got invited, ended up there. And I just heard him say this one phrase, and I can't remember anything else he said. I can later on in his life. I was his driver for two or three weeks, driving around a series of meetings later on in another country. But he just made this statement. This statement. He said, when it's all wrapped up, in the end of it, if anyone is going to have their convention in a phone booth, it's going to be the devil. It's going to be the Antichrist, not us. And I remember in my heart sitting there, and this thing just hit me. We win. That's 40 years ago. And I know we win. That moment shifted me. There was something of an impartation that grabbed me I could never let go of after that. So the exploration of the kingdom was coming out of a victory mindset, not trying to correct a defeatist one. These things are very real in our lives, aren't they, as we, you know, just travel and go through it. But I just want to share with you tonight just my life message a little bit on top of what we're sharing this morning how the kingdom, the Father, heart of God, and all that just comes together. And I believe God just wants to touch a few lives here tonight. I've spoken this thousands of times around the world uh, over years. But there's something that I believe for a moment. I've shared in Africa, seen people halfway through a message like this begin to scream out and demons begin to leave. You know, I remember some, uh, often people will ask me when I travel the world, and I'm in Canada now, not in the USA, but they'll ask me, how do you... When you look at the church in the USA, how do you really see it? And I look and say, well, I, I can't honestly comment on that because I don't know much of it, just a little bit of it. And uh, so I can't give you an overview picture. But I can say this to you, that one of the tragedies that we live with is that on many Sundays, people gather in the buildings and in the end, it's just become a room full of orphans being taught by an orphan. And it's sad. No condemnation, no criticism. People doing the absolute best they can do. But how can you bring people in to know a father if you live with an orphan spirit yourself? And as I shared as a, this morning, I believe fatherhood's going to be the new evangelism, really. It's the old evangelism. It's the one Jesus came to bring to introduce us back to our father. But it's more real today than ever. 
because people are tired. Can I say this carefully to you? Tired of seeking and not finding. Even so much of our worship music over recent years, not that I'm not talking about here or anything, it's been great tonight and great declaration things, but so much of it is seeing just how desperate we are, how thirsty we are, how hungry we are. And I understand all that side of it, don't get me wrong. I want more and more, don't you? But Jesus said, if you really have one drink of me, you'd never thirst again. And sometimes we're looking for home but never quite get there. And we're always on this search to come home. And there's a cry in the hearts of a generation today to come home. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that home. And I got the key tonight in one of the songs we sang, Thank You Worship Band, because you sang the very two lines that I want to share on uh, tonight. And, um, you know, if it gets a little late, you get a bit tired, just have a nap, it's fine. <laughs> Amen. I work with spiritual sons all the time. I tell them, it's fine. You know. It's time to go home, go home. I'm not going yet, but it's fine, feel free. Jesus came to set us free, not to be in religious. No, I'm joking. Half, half joking. <laughs> but I just want to talk to you a little bit about that journey of life. Jesus always has a place prepared for me. It's incredible, isn't it? And that's what I want to really chat to you about tonight. You know, in the Old Testament, home was a, a place. In the New, it's different. But Elijah, after he prophesied doom, really, <laughs> a, a drought that was coming and incredible destruction, the word of, the, of God came to the prophet and said this, Arise and go to the brook Cherith, for I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Tonight I just want to share with you for a little bit about the place called there. Because that's where grace meets you, in the place called there. You see, Elijah could have went anywhere else and not met his ravens because the ravens were not sent to look for him. They were sent to the place called there. God commanded the ravens to feed him there. If he had ended up anywhere else but there, he would not have got fed. He would have been walking around just so hungry and thirsty because he would have never found his ravens. It's an incredible story, and I haven't got time tonight to go through that side of it, but it really is quite an amazing story. You think it was drought everywhere. Can you imagine these ravens? Ravens were scavenger birds. Number one, they didn't eat bread. They just lived off dead meat. But every day they brought bread and meat to him. There was a drought. The animals were dead. The rivers upstream were just full of dead animals. Where were the ravens getting fresh meat and bread every day to bring to Elijah? It's good to think some of these things a little. You know, probably the only place left that had every day fresh meat and bread would have been the palace. And who was in there? Who was the queen? Jezebel, wouldn't it have been incredible that in the greatest moment of Elijah's life, he was actually fed from bread and meat from Jezebel's table as God transferred the wealth of the world into him. 
It's incredible when you think. Why? Because he was there. And he never left there because the river dried up, the creek dried up. He only left on the word of the Lord. See, today people move around the body of Christ everywhere going there just because they feel it gets a bit dry or something. You don't move because it dries up. You move only when God speaks. And God took him on in the place called there. Where did he take him to? Took him to a widow. Can you believe it? He said, I've prepared a widow for you. If that was true, the widow really didn't know when he got there that she'd been prepared. She's walking around the first church of the negativity. Elijah meets her. He was probably walking around looking. Which widow? Where is she? She might have been thinking, where is he? Where's the man of God or something? Walking around, sees this widow. And the widow says to her, or he says to her, you know, what are you doing and how the conversation went? She said, I've just got enough to bake a cake. You know, I've got enough oil and bread to make one cake. And then my son and I are going to die. And Elijah being the father's heart that he had, said, oh, okay, bake the cake and give it to me. I'll eat it. That's just a quick paraphrase. It's the foundation of when we teach on first fruits, but right there. But he said, I, will, I plan to live. But he knew something, didn't he? And the whole life of just went to another level. Why? Because in the place called there, you operate at a level in God that you don't operate anywhere else. You live in his provision because new position is, uh, uh, transition is always new position for new provision. And you get to the place where the ravens turn up, you never have to look for them again. You see, when you come home to the place called there, you never have to seek the blessing again. Because their blessings overtake you. That's why the kingdom message, you seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. 80% of modern day Western Christianity is seeking still the things, not the kingdom. We come together to find out how can I get the things, how do I get another prophecy, how do I get this, how do I get that. God, it's, it's all, none of it's bad, don't get me wrong. I love a word, don't you? I love to give words. But, the, but there's something that happens at a different level. So in the Old Testament, it was a physical place. And then we read over in the New Testament what I'm going to share with you tonight. It won't take me many hours. I was joking with Dean today after this morning. Always the difficulty when you share a message is you end up trying to share a seminar in that message, all the parts of that seminar. So I'll try to discipline myself tonight. It won't take long. You see, this whole fatherhood question is a, Incredible question. I spent a night in jail in Barcelona one night in Spain. I was on my way to minister down in Benidorm and paperwork wasn't right. So going through the airport, they just changed the law a couple of weeks before and I couldn't get on. I'm traveling with a Swiss guy and he got through and as I went to go through, they said, sorry, you haven't got a visa. I said, I don't need one for two weeks. I'm allowed in on my Australian visa for two weeks. I said, sorry, that rule changed just last week. And here I am, and so I got nowhere to go, and I couldn't change my ticket or anything, so I ended up in this little cell at the airport, and 
my Swiss friend went on to speak in broken English and broken German, Swiss German, uh, there in Spain to bring this, do my meetings. And um, so I'm just waiting there and it was a, not a good time at all. And the next day, somehow, I was able to get on. They got me on a flight to get back to England to try to get a visa to come back. And it was just very complex. And in the end, I had to come back through the same way. I'm saying this very short. But I had to come back through the same way because that's the way the planes were going and to meet the, my Swiss friend as we were going through. And as I was coming back through um, Barcelona, or Barcelona, if you live in that part of the world, it's a wonderful thing, commitment, isn't it? You know, we say Barcelona, but if you live there, it's Barcelona. Because there was once a king that had a lisp. And the whole nation began to, instead of getting isolated from him, but in compassion, spoke with a lisp as well. And so when you're ever in Spain and you ask what that city is, I say Barcelona. Still today. Life is wonderful, and yeah, that one's free. But um, the... I was come back in there and, and uh, going through and I said, God, I just hope I don't have to change terminal because the guard that I had in the prison cell that night in that little jail cell, it was only me and a drug dealer from uh, um, Nigeria or somewhere that was getting deported. And I thought, I don't want to see this guy again, you know, if I can. <laughs> I, just, I just feel him bad. So as I got off the plane, I walked down and I saw my connection. I had to go out this terminal into the next terminal. As I'm walking there, the guard, the same guy, came towards me. And he looked at me and said, you again? I said, oh, amigo, how are you, you know? And uh, I said, I'm sorry, I still haven't got a visa. But I've got to get to the next terminal. I'll take you, he says. So he's got a gun to make sure that I get there. And he takes me around there. So by now, I'm a little on edge. And I'm sitting there, and as I'm sitting there, I'm just jammed in like this, and I'm looking at people in the row in front of me. And this girl is sitting there with a young child. And this young child starts running at me and jumping on my toes. Now, it wasn't my happiest moment. I, grace wasn't flowing. My father heart wasn't as developed as it is now. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there. And she kept jumping on my toes like this, running and going back, laughing. And as she did, came again, I, I, I thought, I better just play with her like this, you know. And I'm waiting for them to call the plane. And in the end, they cancel the plane anyhow. So I'm stuck there again. But that's another story. So she jumped on my toes and I started to play with her. And then she comes running at me. She woke up that I could dodge it. And she hits me in the chest. Now I'm a fairly big guy, so we jammed in these seats like this. You can move your feet, but moving your chest is a whole different ball game. So she comes running at me, hits me in the chest like this. And the mother's just letting her. The mother's talking to her. I realized she was American. And so she, you know, I could communicate, but I didn't want to say, stop this little kid doing this or something. And then this little kid runs at me again and stops right in front of me and lifts up her little face. She's, I don't know how old, four or five years old, I guess. She just lifts up her little face, looked me right in the eyes and said, are you my daddy? And I remember looking at her and saying, no, I'm not, honey, but if I was, I'd love to have a little kid like you. And I realized there was this little kid looking anywhere she could for a moment of affection with the hope it may be her dad, but she never knew. I remember 
sitting there in that airport that night all those years ago saying, God, I want people in churches all around the world to know who their dad really is. Because they're going through a form of religion, and a form, but they've never come home. And then one day, other people preach this message I'm sharing with you now, but I'd never heard anyone preach it. When I began to preach it 30 years ago, I realized many probably had. When I was in Bible college, one of the lecturers, one of the only things I remember him ever saying was this. He came in one day and started by saying this. Cursed is the man who thought my original thoughts before me. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> you know, there's nothing original, is there? You get a revelation from God and you go down and realize someone's already written a book on it. And, uh, but no one I'd ever heard preach what I'm, going to just, what I'm just sharing with you tonight. And, but it's just out of what happened with that girl and a couple of things in family with me. If I preach this message, and I've preached it here, I think, once before, I'm not sure, but I preach it on two voices from heaven, two voices to heaven, and the 12 hours that rock the earth. Because something happened at the cross that we don't quite get. Because we've become the center of the cross. Do you understand? We are not the center of this thing called Christianity. We are not the focus. We are not the center. He is. To the older men end, we live in a charismatic humanism that the older men end of all things is the happiness of man. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the older men end of all things is the glorification of God. There's something bigger than you and I in this. Praise God, we're caught up in it, we're swept up in it, and there's huge benefits, but even if there wasn't, we'd want to be in it. Because there's something of whose we are that you get to in the end. And I guess it all comes incredibly powerfully when you read my life message in John 14, of course, when you read through that and it's what a couple of lines were just sung about tonight. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, you know the story. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And on he went, and the story went on. So I just want to talk it through just briefly with you tonight, then believe with some of you. You believe in God, Jesus said to the disciples. Now, let me just put it in context. This is John 14. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't in chapters. But if you read from John 14, uh, from 13 all the way through to 17, if you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, there's hardly one black word. It's just Jesus pouring his heart out. What was John 13 back there? The story of the Last Supper, and you know what it was, the, that incredible moment. When he's in there with the disciples, it's different to any other night. The air is different. It's feeling different. It wasn't the first Passover he's had with them. He's had two or three before. 
But this one, there's something different. Jesus is talking about betrayal and talking a little bit about death and, and it's just not really what it was like other nights, other feast times. And John is really moved and, and, and Jesus is sitting with John and John was so close with Jesus, he had his head on his chest and Jesus is talking about someone's going to betray me tonight. And John says, who is it? Is it me? Who, who can it possibly be? And Jesus says, who I give this bread to? He's going to walk out and betray me tonight. No one else knew. And there's Judas and Jesus gives Judas the bread. You know the story. And, Jesus, and Judas leaves the room. Many people think he's just going to minister to the poor. Others think he's just going to buy some more food for the feast. But John knew something and Jesus was expressing something. The pressure that was upon them that night was unbelievable. I don't know really all that happened that night. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar in that kind of way. Others could probably explain it much better. But Paul, when he tried to talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for us, Paul just said it this way. He said, I, I can't really tell you exactly everything that went on that night, but the way it's been passed on to me, this is what I understand of it. That that night, Jesus took the cup. Now we understand in the Jewish Passover feast there was always a cup, a prophetic cup of wine that, that was pointed to a coming Messiah. Now I don't know if Jesus took that cup or not. I don't really know, but Paul said at least he took the cup that night. It was called the cup, that prophetic picture of what was to come. And if Jesus did take the cup that night, you can imagine what it was like in that room. He takes the cup, he picks it up, and they probably said, Jesus, don't touch that. We don't touch that one. But he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Yes, we know, put it down. And then he said to them, made with my blood. And they must have been thinking to themselves, Jesus, are you really that one? What are you doing? If you were not, we're in big trouble tonight. The pressure was incredible. You know what happened? All that went on the Garden of Gethsemane, you went through all there, the, the arrest. And they were so much under spiritual pressure, they couldn't even keep awake. And Jesus says, can't you even keep awake and pray with me just for one hour? I know it's a pressure night. I know this huge thing, confusion begins to come. Jesus had told them to sell up some of their stuff and buy swords and then they come to arrest Jesus and Peter takes his sword and cuts off an ear and Jesus says, you got it wrong, bends down, picks up the ear and sticks it back on. I mean, you imagine what it was like being around there that night. Must have been incredible. In the midst of that is John 14. Now this is what I want to suggest to you tonight. Jesus had to be saying something more then if this fails, at least you've got a condo in heaven. Let's be saying something more. Then in my father's house, at least there's a room. If we mess this up in the next few days, at least I've got a place booked for you. I've got plan B. Now with that in mind, just think when he said this. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I go, you know, and the way you know, etc. And if I go, I'm coming back to get you to be in that place. What was that place changes your life forever? 
Let me just read it to you one more time. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, if Jesus was talking about heaven and a room in heaven, then Thomas was right. He didn't know heaven and he certainly didn't know the way. He's the other side of the cross. Now, I want you to get a picture of this tonight because here they are. Imagine this is the cross. We're out here, this side of the cross, and we look back at it, and we struggle to understand everything that happened there, don't we? We're growing and learning the mysteries of the kingdom and all that kind of thing. You imagine when you're over this side and you're looking this way at it. See, all they knew was this picture of a high priest could go into that place once a year into the presence of God but no one else could go in. There was only room for one. And here Jesus is beginning to unpackage something to take them through the most dramatic, shaking days of their lives. If they can get through this with him, he's going to release them to head up his kingdom globally. This is the birth of a, of a new age of the kingdom on earth that is one day going to usher in the return of the king. And these are the Sons in the house that are going to launch this. And you imagine him with all this in mind. He says to them this. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I do, I'll come and return. And, and Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And in answer to a spiritual son's basic question. Jesus said the most incredible thing. We, we run evangelical crusades on it. We start movements on it. We start denominations on it. We run mission on it. But when Jesus said it, he was simply answering the question of a spiritual son who was losing grip on the day. And said, where are you going, Jesus? What's really going on? And he said, where I go, you know and the way you know. Thomas said, I don't know where you're going. How can I possibly know the way? And in answer to that, Jesus made the most profound statement in Scripture. He said, I am the way. I told you you know the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the not heaven, no man comes to the Father but by me. Thomas must have thought, I don't quite get this. Philip came on and joined in the conversation, as you know, and said, well, just show us the Father. Then and that will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you have not known what this is really all about, Philip. He who has seen me has seen my dad. Because I came to bring him to you. Not to get you to take home to him. If you've seen me, you've seen my dad. There's no shocks in this. 
Just show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. See, until you understand that the very center of everything we talk about, of the kingdom, Father, and everything at all, is in a dad and not in real estate, you'll never get his grace to understand it. Because something happened that moment that was going to rattle and change the world. And you say, well, was he talking about heaven or just the... Every time Jesus opened his mouth prophetically, he said more than one thing. I'm not saying there's not an external dynamic of this. I'm just talking about in the midst of these three or four days of their life. Was he just trying to give them security for a condo in heaven if it goes wrong? Or was he trying to get them through the most dramatic, shaking three or four days they could ever walk through? You know, you read over in chapter 15 and 16, it says most incredible thing. In 15 and 16, it goes on and, and says, um, let me say this first. When I first began to see these points, maybe nearly 25 years ago or more, 30 years ago, I was sitting in a room in New York State and preparing for a Sunday morning service and I was just reading this scripture and these things began to jump out. I said, God, am I in, uh, in in heresy thinking this and I had to go and speak at a conference and as I went there's two or three thousand young people there that following weekend after I shared and Paul Cain who was a prophet who's passed away recently was there speaking at the meeting as well and Paul begins to share as he did in meetings like that I'm sitting there and you're just sharing and sharing whatever you're sharing I've got no idea and he just stops and he says I don't know why I'm saying this, but there's just five or six points I want to say out of John 14, and it's for one person here tonight. And he said the exact five points that God gave me the night before when I was up there, or a couple of nights before, and I thought, God, I didn't know then it was becoming my life message. All I knew was the preparation to that moment over the years before. But this was what put it all together for me. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, when you read over in John um, uh, 16, uh, over there, I just, uh, it, it says this. These things I've spoken to you in Proverbs or in parables, but the time cometh when I shall no longer speak to you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. So Jesus is saying to them in explaining what's just happened, I'm teaching you in picture form here. When you read the scripture, you've got to know which is the picture language, which is factual language in the other sense, and all of that. It's a whole journey you've got to look to. But Jesus said, I'm teaching you this in parables because you can't get it yet. But soon is coming a day when I can talk to you plainly about the Father because I'm going to a place to prepare. I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, all they could understand was only one man could walk into sonship, only one man could walk into priesthood, only one man at a time could be in the presence of the Father. Jesus is saying, no, I understand why you think that. And it's what it's been up to now. But there's a curtain that's about to tear. There's a door that's about to open. And in my Father's heart, there's not going to only be room for one son. 
Because in my father's house and in his fatherhood capacity, there's room for everybody. But you can't get it yet. But soon you will. Because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. When I teach this in seminar form, I would really emphasize a certain point here and say this. One of the greatest questions you can ever ask as a believer is where was Jesus that they were not? He said, where I am, there you may be also. Where was he that they were not? The only place he was that they were not was in his sonship, in the Father. And he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. It's the most incredible thing when you think about it. And then the great transaction began to start to take place. You know some of the story, I said I'm only giving you a short version tonight, but it was most incredible. It's already been mentioned tonight in the meeting. You see, there was something going on that was going to shake the world. It all started in the garden when God created Adam and Eve. See, God, when he created Adam, he created a son to be a father. How do you know he was born to be a father? Because he was made in God's image, and God's number one image was fatherhood. Why? Because the word father is the word source, the source of all things. And God was the source of all things, so he was the father of all things. And when he created Adam, he made him a father. He was made in his image. And when he made Eve, he made her out of him. Exactly the same. That's why the great commission was given both to Adam and Eve. The covenant was made with Adam, but the commission was given to both. And the most incredible thing was going on, you see. Now, you, you imagine God's coming into the garden, then he's talking with them. Imagine what it was like. God said to Adam, I'm going to give you a job before I give you a wife. So you've got him to name all the animals. That was a massive job. You imagine what happened when he got to the centipede. He had to count every leg or he might have had a 98-pede. How did he end up with a centipede? You know, whatever, it was a big job. He started to name them. Kangaroo, wallaby, koala bear. You know, we all know where the Garden of Eden was. And the, the whole thing was transitioning. And then God, you know what happened. There was a tree. There was a temptation and something went terribly wrong. I don't want to go into all that tonight because that's a whole part of it in itself. But it all went terribly wrong and then started this incredible pursuing of the Father for his people. All the way through the Old Testament, there was two or three attempts at it, really. If you go through Moses, you go through other situations that all went on uh, through there, uh, through Mo but you go through uh, a Jonah and then you go, I mean, you go through the flood and you go through all of that. There's all different attempts of God trying to get people back, but the cry was from a father's heart always. You get into the book of Hosea, so I don't want your religion, I don't want your burnt offerings, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to love me, I want you to know me. I'm not after your activity, I'm after your heart. 
There was something all the way, but then it couldn't come, couldn't find any way through it until the ultimate request was made and the ultimate sacrifice was made and unto us a son was given. A child was born, a son was given. You know the story. Why? Because in the end of the day, the only way God could redeem it, in the end, was give us to start it all over again. And so the last Adam was born. Only way. There had to be a new Adam. This new Adam had a two-role function. He couldn't just be the Adam like the one in the garden was. He also had to reclaim everything that first Adam had lost. So after that, when I said today, when they were in the waters of baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what happened? Where was the first place God took him? Right into temptation in the wilderness. Why? Because that's where the first Adam lost it. So he had to reclaim it step by step. And the devil tempted him in all ways. And the devil said, look, come up on this mountain. And as far as your eyes can see, if you'll just bow to me, I will give you rulership over that. And Jesus must have thought to himself, I haven't come back for a bit of it. I've come back for it all. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You're hungry, eh? Jesus. Make some of these rocks into bread. Yeah, I could do it. I got the power to do it, but God hasn't given me the power just to meet my own and benefit my own need for something far bigger than that. It is written. See, you cannot get humanism and selfishness into the middle of the gospel when you understand what it's all about because we're not the center of it. Something much bigger is and someone much bigger. And so he walked through that. You know the, the story. And then he began to call the people together. And he began to walk through these three years of life of them, raising them up as his sons, etc. What was he doing? Well, back in the garden, what really happened? There were two main voices that came from heaven. And I'll touch at least that bit tonight. See, God created it to dwell with us, this earth. He loves this place. It's his handiwork. He created it for a dwelling place for him and us. And he'd walk with Adam in the night. And he comes down this time to visit and he looks. And in a paraphrase, Satan's on the throne of the rulership of the earth. And there's a cry goes out of father's heart. Adam, where are you? You see, if you just read it in the context and just read it in the letter and you just think about it, you think Jesus didn't, you think Father didn't know what tree he was hiding behind. He knew what tree he was hiding behind. He was asking a much bigger question than that. He's saying, Adam, I created this and gave you rulership and Eve rulership of this place. Kingdom rulership. And I come back and look, and Satan's on the throne. Adam, where are you? So if God was to ask of the Ecclesia Church in Canada, he's not going to blame the left or the right. He's going to ask the church and simply ask this question. Why is every other agenda ruling? Where are you? 
I put you here to rule and reign. Went on through all that time until the second great call from heaven when Jesus died on the cross that day and he cried out before he died, it is finished. If you do not understand the fatherhood and the kingdom heart of God, you will think what was finished on the cross that day was your sin problem. Well, praise God it was included. Hallelujah. Yours and mine. Amen. But when you understand in the bigger picture when Jesus called out that day, it is finished, what was he saying? He's declaring to the rulership of the earth, under the earth, to heavenly places, Satan, your rule of the earth is finished. Adam is back. But in the first Adam, God said it wasn't good for a man to dwell alone. So how did he get him a wife? He put him to sleep and opened up his side and now the closest thing to his heart, I know there's some question where the rib with bone was, but just saying that is what was most understood. Out of the closest thing to his heart, he took a bone and she became Eve. Or the play on the words as we say that man was recreated with a womb and woman was born. And the bride of of the first Adam was alive. So now the last Adam's on earth. Where is God going to get a bride for the last Adam? This time he put him to sleep on a cross, opened up his side and the closest thing to his heart, blood and water began to flow and it flowed into a little room in Jerusalem. And he walked in there that night, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And in that room that day, Eve was born. We call her the church or the bride of Christ. And the first Adam was given and Eve was given a great commission. And we call in the great commission with the second, the last Adam and his wife was given this great commission given by Adam. Now go teach them everything I teach you, make disciples of the nations, baptize them, you know, etc., etc. Most incredible thing. Adam was back and Eve was back. But how did it happen? Because here is something that shifts my heart every time I understand it. You see, how was it going to happen? You see, when Jesus died and he's buried, Mary and some others Mary Magdalene, not Mary's mother. Mary and others are at the tomb. And when they're at the tomb, they look in and the stone's rolled away. Now, you've got to understand, the stone was never rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let the disciples in. If it had to be rolled away to let Jesus out, it wasn't much of a resurrection. Granite wasn't going to hold him. It was moved to let the disciples in. And here's Mary standing there. She's weeping, crying. And the man she thinks, the gardener, says to her, Mary, why are you weeping? A woman, why are you weeping? He said. And she said, what have they done with him? All he ever wanted to do was give kids like me new life. They hunted him down. They hated him. Killed him. We put him in this borrowed tomb. 
what have they done with his body? Why have they taken it now? And the man she thought was the gardener said, Mary. You know, in the Old Testament, it says a wonderful thing. It says, you know you're in the right place with two things. When he knows you by name and he found grace in his sight. And there as Mary and Jesus met, she said, Master, Rabboni. And she reached out to hug him. And he said, not yet. I have not yet been to the... I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And one of the gospels says later on that same day, but it was pretty well around exactly the same time, we read the story of when he walked into the room and breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. Now, when he breathed, walked in that day, there were questions, there was all kinds of questions about it. And Thomas said to him, how do we really know, Jesus, this is really you? He looked much the same. And he said, come here. Feel my side. Come and hold me. Here's a question to help shift my life. Why was Thomas allowed to touch him but Mary wasn't? Because in between those two, was it just a sexist thing? What was it? It could only be that somewhere in between those two events, Jesus went somewhere. You see, in John 16, he said this, before he said about I telling you this in picture form, he said this, he said, I'm here for a little while, I'm going to be gone for a little while, I'll be back in a little while, etc. And they were all listening, he said, I know why you're troubled, it's a little while bit, isn't it? See, we project all scripture to the future. That's one of the biggest mistakes we make. Rather than the story of life, it's history, it's his story. Just a little while, I'm going on back. I don't know how it happens, but I know this, much at least. That somewhere between that morning and that evening, Jesus walked back in to the government room of heaven. Where the king of all creation was sitting on the throne. And as he walked back in there with a blood sacrifice in his hands into his father's presence, this is just a paraphrase of my wanderings, but as he walked back into that place, somewhere there was something like this took place where he looked and said, Father, is it complete? Is it done? And his dad looked at him and said, Thank you, son. The price is totally paid forever. And somewhere in the legal court system of heaven, Father God was given the legal right to shift himself from being the judge and condemnation, if you want, of humanity to be able to express his higher call of fatherhood and mercy. And in that court system of heaven, mercy triumphed over judgment. And he looks back at his dad and he says, Dad, I've got a little group, they're in a little house. His father knew, obviously. He says, send me back to them. Because I told them I was going to prepare a place 
that where I am, they can be also. And Dad said, go back, son. And he walked in there and he breathed on them. And for the first time in their life, out of their innermost being, there was a cry that came out and said, Abba, Father. And they were in exactly the same place as he was, a son of Dad. What a moment. Went on to pray in John 17 after what we shared this morning. He went on and prayed the most incredible prayer. See, if you don't get it, you'll be, you're thinking about leaving this place. When you get it, you hear what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't pray, Father, that you'll take them out of this earth. I just pray you'll empower them here. And he said this, Father, I pray this for them, that the same love relationship that you and I have had, what was that, a father-son relationship, they might have and know it exactly the same. Because I came to bring you to them. And the new covenant was born. And the sons began to build the kingdom. You know, in that day, there was only one spark of light on the whole of the planet. And its citizens, Israel, were in doubt and unbelief and under occupation. Paul said all the rest of the earth was in total darkness. Now 2,000 years on, there's hardly one spot left on the earth that the light hasn't reached. Because Isaiah said, this king, his kingdom will know nothing but increase. See, when you understand the gospel of the kingdom and fatherhood and his grace, you can realize churches can go up and down, but his kingdom knows nothing but increase. Because we're not in the gospel of the church, we're in the gospel of the kingdom. The church is the place where it's governed and all of that. But something happened. Because that day those men that Jesus had traveled eleven, uh, three years with and spent all that time with came home to the place prepared for them. And you know what happened? It was the place where the ravens turned up. You know the most incredible thing when the Holy Ghost was poured out and all that followed and Pentecost happened? You know the most incredible thing that happened? Jesus said to them this. Uh, sorry, Peter said to them, uh, Jesus said to them, go to Jerusalem and wait till you get endured with power. He said, receive you the Holy Ghost. Now go to Jerusalem and wait till you get endured with power. Incredible thing to say to them. These men had already healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, fed 5,000 supernaturally with them. Blessed them and said, now I want you to get power. What was the power of Pentecost? It wasn't just the power to do miracles. They'd done that before Pentecost. That's why we father people today before they get saved. Your father through the cross, not from the cross. That's why in your workplace on Monday or after the weekend or whatever, God's already putting people in your life to father and to mother and to disciple. They're not even saved yet. 
I sometimes meet with spiritual sons and say, you bring your sons and unsafe people come to the room. We had sons come in one day. A man who's a professor in a, in a school of dentistry is one of my spiritual sons. He came, he brought an unsaved man with him and the guy sitting there, he said, he said to us at the beginning, he said, this man I see like a, a father in my life. And we're unpackaging the kingdom for two or three hours, heavy stuff, finances, all kinds of stuff. At the end of it, this man just looked and he said, if I'm ever going to understand anything about this kingdom you're talking about, I guess I better meet the king. <laughs> Where we just hang around in the business and hope one day we might have a chance to share four spiritual laws and then help someone. God began to father you way before you got saved. Or at least acknowledge what he had done. See, there's a new wineskin being born on the earth. The question is really not going to be the big question of who goes to church. It's where does the church go? And who are we really? And what is really happening and what is developing? I wind out with a little bit of personal. I was late, but it's a conference. It's not that late. We're not doing that that much. I just want to say this to you tonight. I come from a very good father background. I had a dad who really loved me. I cannot remember having bad experiences with my dad. I cannot remember playing a top game of sport in my life without my dad being there to support me. And he played sport as well, and I'd be there to support him. I grew, but I still could not understand God as my father even with the limitations of having a good father. So I want to say this, I understand if you struggle with fatherhood of God because some of you have gone through traumatic, terrible experiences with fatherhood and spiritual leaders, authority figures in your life, all kinds of things. Maybe not many here tonight because we're probably the choir here tonight. Come out on a Friday night, but... <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So I understand the pain... I had to walk my own dad and walk through the whole journey. See, my dad was a good man. He was in the Salvation Army, led many people to the Lord. He brought, led the youth, led all kinds of things. It was good, but all the way through, he was also involved in the Masonic Lodge. Masonic Lodge had such a hold on the Salvation Army in those days in Australia that they had their own lodge just for Salvationists. It's hard to believe. William Booth would have rolled in his grave. But it was not a bad thing for me. In fact, all I knew once a month, my dad put on a tuxedo and a little bag and went off to his lodge meeting. But the lodge was great. When my mum got really ill, the lodge took more care of us than the church did. Christmas, it was great. The parties were fantastic they put on for us all. I had no bad memories of it at all. Just my dad had this night out once a month. But in context of what we're talking about, the one thing I realized, and my dad, I, I had to take him on the journey. You know, the incredible thing of fatherhood and sonship is one day there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to, as a son, have to father the father. That doesn't work so good in Western mind Christianity because you've got to have someone who's a chief and everybody else under them. But you never lead in kingdom life from the top or the bottom. You lead from among My dad was 
he eventually came out of the lodge and came to England to live where we were just to be with us. But there's a thing I realized he could never really see. And there's been emphasis in these couple of days about seeing. And he just couldn't really see. He couldn't see in the spirit. But he's a good man. And he was believed, a good believer. And he's coming out and had to walk him through that. I led him out of the Masonic Lodge, took him through some of the things. I'd gone through deliverance myself. I, this is a whole story happened here in America. But I had to get delivered and I went back to our work in England. This is many years ago. And I was going to speak a message this night on free to be me. And I sat with my dad beforehand. I said, Dad, you're going to be in the meeting tonight. And I need your permission to share what I'm going to share on because I'm going to share that I've been bound all my life and I've been bound through you and your life in the Masonic Lodge. And he said, son, I understand. I'll be there. Got to do what you got to do. I got a man who just became a friend, just passed away a, a year ago to sit with him and shepherd my dad through that night. And I stood there in England and preached with about 600 people in the crowd free to be me because I'd gone through this deliverance myself. Made the appeal and probably 400, 500 people rushed forward. God began to break something in our heart. My dad was the first one out that night for his deliverance. Demons were going out everywhere. Because secret societies, Masonic Lodge, these kinds of things, it doesn't mean you're not saved to heaven, but you'll never be saved to earth. Because you can't see. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. You've got to have spiritual eyes open for revelation and to see it, what we're talking about in a time like this. But I want to tell you, when Paul said you've got to work out your salvation, he wasn't kidding. That's a journey with my dad. I baptized him. and It was wonderful. But he had a hole in his heart. And the reason he had a hole in his heart was very simple. Because when my dad was only two years old, his dad died in the war here in Europe, uh, in, over in Europe, shot by a sniper out of a tree. I've got his wallet and papers where the bullet went through, my grandfather. So my dad never had a dad, never was raised by a dad. As he left on the troop ship out of Australia to go to Europe, he wrote a letter to his wife. He probably wrote others as well. Put it in a bottle and threw it over the side of the boat. He got all the way back to Tasmania to a little town called Lotta near Scottsdale on the island of Tasmania. If you come into my home and visit me on the wall there sealed in glass, my sister got it done for me, is that letter. The true letter in a bottle. Maybe one of the last letters he may have ever written. I don't know. He may have written many more because he was away for a time. But that was the one as he left. So I have the memory always there with me. But he had this hole in his heart. He couldn't see. He could do church work. Very faithful man. People loved him to bits. Stand on the door, welcome everybody. But he just couldn't see. So we got him in the car in England, took him to France. If ever you want to be moved 
to get compassion in your heart and an understanding what the world's all about, just go to the war cemeteries of France and see acres and acres of white crosses. The US burial, the Canadian burial, combined forces graveyard. And we got all the records and we went and we went and stood there. And there we found my granddad's little cross, a little thing, little monument. And there it had written on it, Frederick Fitzgerald died in action, age 32. I remember standing there with my dad and my dad just beginning to weep. And he began to sob and sob and I could hear him cry as I held him in my arms as he cried out, I really did have a father. I really did. And something in my heart was saying, I'll give the rest of my life to tell believers anywhere I can find them. They really do have a father. I haven't been called to religion and church activity. I knew all that for years. They were called to something much more. Really did have a father. We went back home, we lived, we built an apartment on the side of our house for them to live in and I was away speaking at a faith conference up in the Midlands of England and we had a worship leader from America was doing a thing in our little church there in Brighton and my dad was at that and I came home and I was tired, we had people living in our house all around us saying I walked into the apartment where my mum and dad was, see how they were doing and they were just talking to me, Marilyn came in to see where I was, my oldest daughter came in to see where we were Another friend from Iceland came in eventually and my dad said to me, son, this morning I saw. I saw, I could see it. In the meeting that morning, I saw. Everything had moved from religion to a place called there. And he knew his sonship. And he looked at me and I looked at him. I raced across. I saw his eyes roll. I grabbed him and he died in my arms. Went to dad. But not till he saw. So when I share on this kind of stuff, I, I'm not sharing with you something I learned out of a book. I've never read books on the subject. I've only ever read three or four books right through in my whole life. I have a reading problem. I can't read and absorb. I've had to sit, look at scriptures, walk things through, read two verses, look and say, God, what are you really saying here? I'm not saying that as a pity party or just fact. Because there's something bigger at stake than you getting up on Sunday morning and going to church. when it hits you and it all happens you don't go to church anymore the church gets up and goes Sunday morning to celebrate if you've got to get up on Sunday morning and go to church you've got to ask yourself who was I before I left home See, God's not so much looking for us to get up and go to church. God's looking for the church to get up and bring the kingdom. Put 
course, we've got to gather for fellowship and worship and equipping and training. That's the wonderful thing about the body. But we don't go to church. The church comes here. Amen. You see, I'm just close and say this to you tonight. That my prayer for you and always my belief is not how much theology you know, how much doctrine you know, how much you can do this, how much you can share this or that. My whole life for you is have you come home? Because home is where dad is. You know, you go into church buildings today and sometimes they have up on the wall the Lord's Prayer. And I love that. I've got that in my own house. But I've got some news for you. It's not the Lord's Prayer. He never prayed that prayer once. If he did, he's not your saviour. If he ever prayed once, forgive me my trespasses, he's not your saviour. That was the disciples' prayer. His prayer was John 17. When he prayed, Father, I do not ask you to take him out of the world. I just ask they'll know you like I know you. As a son. The whole earth is groaning. It's only waiting for one thing. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons. Male and female sons. These are contradiction when I teach on fathers and sons and do seminars or conferences and that always say this, the great need of the world today is not spiritual fathers. The great need of the world are sons. But we can't produce a generation of sons without dads. So when I meet with spiritual sons, I'm not meeting with them as I'm their father and they're my sons. I'm meeting with them that together we're growing to be sons to our dad. I've just got a function to play in their life while we're here, that's all. But we're looking for his fatherhood. See, they're crying. You could be crying tonight. You could have an ache in your heart. Sitting there thinking, I've been going to church meetings all my life. But never ever found the ravens. Tried everything. My business, my family, my relationships, my marketplace. My education, wherever I am, it's always a battle, it's always a struggle. Well, I may be just too, oh, super simplistic. But at least one of the reasons is maybe you just haven't got to the place prepared for you yet. And that place is not an it, it's a him. It's a him, it's a father. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to cry out for it. I don't have to scream for it. I can go to bed tonight and, and know one thing for sure, that whether I preach good or preach bad, whether I preach at all, it's nothing to do with his fatherhood in my life. He may want to adjust me, correct me as a good dad, but my sonship is not conditional on anything that I do. His sonship is simply on whose I am. And because I found out whose I am, I'm comfortable in my own skin to be who I am. 
And if I'm comfortable in my own skin to be who I am, I can in transparent way be added to apostolic and prophetic brothers and sisters around, linked together. Can't wait till next week comes. I'm with Ken Gilligan and, and, and Glenn Schaefer and others and we'll be together. Oh, there'll be meetings going on, but why we all mainly want to be there? Because we want to be together. Why? Because God has done something. And we're not being measured by who's the best there. Just sons. Share the rest on Sunday morning. Possibly, if I don't go home before. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I do want to pray for some of you just before we do tonight. We'll be out here in a few minutes. Just ask the musicians if any around whether they'd be happy just to just stand. But I just want to pray just with a few of us. If it's too late and they've gone, that's also fine. I understand. But I just want to pray this with you tonight and believe with you. If there's a tug in your heart tonight, if there's a cry in your heart, if there's something crying out, to come to the place called there. I know you've had much ministry on the Father, heart of God. You've had many great words and all kinds of things. But you can still sit in the midst with an orphan heart. Spend all your life trying to become someone. Say, I'm not who I am or you're not who you are because of what you do. You do because you know who you are. There's only two groups of believers in the world, really. There's a lot of other splinter groups, but two main groups in the world. Those who get it and live from it, or those who are living their life trying to get it. And whenever I'm going through a tough time in my life, which happens, God always takes me back to where it began. And where it began was simply this. It said God created them in his image and it says he blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply. He never said be fruitful and multiply and I'll bless you. He blessed them. And said from the blessing, be fruitful and multiply. That's why the best we could ever do, even when we sow good seed, which I believe that message incredibly, the Bible says he's even the one who gives the seed to the sower. There's nowhere in this journey we can take the credit. Most incredible thing is becoming a son. I will say this while the musicians are there. In the parables of the kingdom, the parables of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares, there's only one diff main difference in the two parables. The parable of the soil is the parable of the, of the sower. The seed is the word of God. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the world's the same, the sower's the same, all that's pretty much the same. The difference is the seed are the sons of the kingdom. So what is kingdom life? What is it about? It's to deliver the word of God, to bring birth to sons, to disciple and father sons, so we can sow the sons... And the harvest, the Bible says, comes from the sowing of the sons. So you know what that means? It simply means this. That the only goal I can ever have in my life, really, 
is to become a son that can be sown. There's nowhere else to aim for. Just to become seed. Because that's where the harvest comes from. God wants to sow that seed for a while into Nicaragua. Help a young guy called Carlos. Or whatever. We go, don't we? Why in the end? Because young man down there that needs a dad. It's not difficult. Just a wonderful thing. See, you haven't crossed over from the gospel of the church to the gospel of the kingdom till you can walk into your place of employment or you're into your school on Monday morning and as you're walking through the door with all humility, say this, for God so loved this place, he gave it me. And I'm sown there as a son of the kingdom to bring harvest. Father, I pray for every life here tonight. I pray for those that are aching, those who have been hurt, those who have been wounded, those who may need just to stand by a graveside. Those, Father, that just realized they had a dad in their life that just left too quick. I heard the door slam as a mom and dad went through a divorce. Oh, many things. Just reaching out to know something more and ended up with just a list of rules and regulations. I don't know what it is, your journey, but I just want to close tonight. We may minister more on Sunday, but by saying this at least, if there's a cry in your heart for a greater understanding of the revelation of Father's heart in your life, the Mara and I and others here tonight, we'd love just to agree with you before we go home tonight. that he went to prepare a place for you that where he is as a son of the father you now are if you believe and everything that he enjoyed with his dad are yours because you've been elevated as a joint heir now you're a son male or female if you'd like us just to agree with you before we close tonight then just come and stand here with me we're just going to maybe simply give you a hug and believe for a father's blessing upon your life tonight I don't want you living with an orphan spirit when you can live as a son I don't want you going through religious activity when you can know him and if we're talking to you tonight just stand here going to pray there's two things I just said an older call I'm only going to ask you this time but no older calls ever closed God waited a long time for me I'm happy to wait so while we're praying for others if you just want to come and join with us then feel free to come because there's a greater revelation a greater understanding you know, I felt the Lord was just saying me to say to you tonight that the fight is going to end you've been ripped apart deep inside you as you've battled through some of these things we're talking about tonight I want to believe with you tonight 
Those tears now, they're just simply tears of healing that are flowing. Sometimes they're like tears of regret, but God just turns them into tears of healing. And wholeness. There's one person here particularly tonight that know that slamming door when a mother or father walked out on you. Somehow the whole guilt of the breakup of the home just seemed to fall on you. And that deep question, what did I do so wrong that caused this? I've got good news for you tonight. It's not your fault. The Father's love is reaching out to you tonight. Reaching out just to touch and heal. We're just going to simply pray and agree tonight. Believe. Because God's called you and called this church into being and this raised it up in Belleville to be a place of the Father's heart to be expressed to an orphan city, orphan world, an impartation of more and more of his love, his compassion. You know, when I studied over the life of Jesus through my journey, I've learned sometimes more by what he didn't say even than what he said. And sometimes I thought, why didn't you take on the issues of the day, Jesus? Why didn't you deal with the occupancy of Rome? Why didn't you deal with the pedophiles that were in the Roman government? Why didn't you deal with all the corruption and all the stuff that was going on? And I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with issues and try to deal with issues, but I want to say this. He had a simple belief, I believe, that penetrated into the deepest part of his being, that he believed in a kingdom that would primarily change from the inside out, not from the outside in. And how does he do it? By sowing sons of the kingdom, male and female, to bring transformation wherever they are, not judgment. And so, Father, I pray a Father's blessing upon every life here tonight. I pray for the chains to break. Lord, these are good people. They love you, but they want more. Not more because they're desperate in some way, but more, God, because they want to be able to raise a generation of sons and daughters to effectively change this earth. Father, when you wanted this earth changed, you sowed a son. Father, you sowed a son. Father, when you first created this earth, you gave it a son. When you redeemed it, you gave it a son. And to a crying world today to change it, you're giving them a son. Many sons. For in the Father's house, there's not just room for one. There's many rooms. For he prepared a place for you, that where you are, where he is, you may be also go to bed tonight and cry out Abba Father Abba Father Abba Father who the Son sets free is free indeed and I just saw a picture in my heart of your desire to seek after God and yet your mind taking you down paths sometimes you don't even want to go and the wall is raging within you is going to be settled in fatherhood. 
not going to be settled in me just giving you three scriptures, although that would help. But it's going to be settled in you coming to the place prepared for you. Your brook Cherith, where he's sending the ravens to feed you. I don't know your walk or your journey, who you travel with, but there's someone around you need to reach out to and say, Father me, help me, travel with me. Be loosed.